Good afternoon. I want to speak to you today from the text, the book of Acts, chapters 8, verses 26 to 39. Acts 26, Acts chapters 8, verses 26 to 39. This text speaks of an encounter with Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. It reads, And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go to the south, to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, an, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he said to Philip, Come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And a lamb, and like a lamb before the, its shears, is silent. So he opened up he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, do the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. We thank God for his word. We thank God that he has allowed us and has set this path of his scriptures to us that we can see and we can know him. We ask him to continue to bless it. Now, this portion of scripture is one that is rich with a storyline. It connects to a backstory of what the early church, falling under the prophetic word of Christ, that we can see. This is what was happening then. John, uh, John records in his writing, John 12, 5 to 20. Remember the word 
that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And this is what was happening at that time. And that connects to that backstory. But then it gives the story gives us a foreground of the early days of the church being scattered. But a central focus here in this text is on Philip and the city of Samaria. The story tells us who was instrumental in the scattering, and that was Saul. And we can find that in Acts chapters 8, verse 3. It says, But Saul was raving in the church, and he entered house after house and dragged people and dragged men and women off, committing them to prison. Now Philip and also Saul. We know in the case of Philip, he was one of many believers who were scattered throughout the region because of persecution. In Saul's case, we know that he was not the only one who was doing the persecuting. If we remember the story of Stephen, we know that Saul was there. He was holding the coats. He had his stamp of approval on this. But you also have to consider the high priest and those who, the Pharisees and the scribes, who were instrumental in persecuting the Jews. And not the Jews, sorry, in persecuting the early Christians, the early church. Luke chooses to highlight this story so that we could get a glimpse of what was happening at the time. We know of deaths, imprisonment, beatings, and harassment, which started then and still continues to present. But here is where I want to stop and make a note. Some who say that they are being persecuted because of their faith need to meet a standard and that standard is in the name of Christ. In the name of Jesus. We cannot pick fights and then complain that we are being persecuted. What we have to consider as our standard is in his name. Is it in his name? The name of Christ and what he represents. Integrity being ethical, long-suffering, fair-minded, impartial, and loving. is in that respect that we are being persecuted. The story of Philip. The writer places Philip now in another time, another environment, with another cast. We see an angel we see an Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. We see a queen, an Ethiopian queen, Candice. And we see a prophet, Isaiah. In approaching the text, we have to look at the central focus of the text. Is it the angel? No. 
the angel was sent on behalf of God. Is it the Ethiopian eunuch? No. He was just a man coming from a pilgrimage from Jerusalem. Is it Philip? No. He was just a man being used by God. Is it the prophet Isaiah? And again, no. He was just a man being used by God. The commonality here is God. So this central focus, as we can see in this text, is God. So my gear here with this passage is not to go down the rabbit holes that are presented throughout this text, but my gear, or but rather my gear, is to look at the work of Philip as it relates to us and God. So let us carve out some real estate in this text and pitch our tents. Our first post, as we can see in this text, is the obedience to God. That's where we're going to plan our first post, the obedience to God. The second post in this text is the message of God. And the third post in this text is the joy of God. So we have the obedience of God, the message of God, and the joy of God. So think with me. Because this is this is something that you know I started and, and I had a memory that came in. So I'm just gonna give you two names. Samuel the prophet and Saul the king. And if you are like me, you would remember Samuel speaking to Saul, and in that dialogue, he says to Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. But when you look at these words, and you understand what is being said here in relation to God, these words should be part of the foundational knowledge from us of God or to us of God for every believer. The foundational knowledge for every believer that obedience is better than sacrifice. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at our forefather, Adam. He was disobedient. And we could see right away down through history, right away to us, the scars of his obedience. So obedience, when it comes to the believer, this should be part of our foundational knowledge of knowing who God really is. So to meet God and say, I came to church fearfully. I give fearfully. 
Look, I got my bulletin to show you that I went every week. But therefore, obedience is not in line with God. I would hear to shatter, or I would dread to think of what will happen. It's not going to be a good outcome. The text reads, And now, says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's Acts 8.36. Now, this is all the information that was there. And that was given to Philip. What we read next is a description that Luke decides to give to us. And Luke says, Luke describes this place as being a desert. He didn't say like a desert. He said it was a desert. So we know it was not a pretty place. Here is where I start to sense disobedience in our time. Some will say, are you sure God wants me to go there? You know there's nothing there, right? I heard of people being robbed and killed there. Did you ask John? Where's the rest of the instructions? And this one here kills me. If I'm going, is the pay commensurate with that of a bishop? No, Philip. On the other hand, the text tells us that he arose and went. No questions asked. The text doesn't tell you that Philip balked on the decisions. He didn't ask for anything else. He just went. Why? Because he understood the obedience to God was more important than sacrifice. Philip was in Samaria and there were a number of people being saved, healed. So it was a great work that the mighty Lord was doing through Philip for the people of Samaria. So Philip had legitimate excuses, but he didn't put that there. He says, he didn't even say anything, he just left and went. He could have said, God, you know, all these people are being saved. Why are you sending me down to this place? There's nobody there. But Philip didn't do that. He left, he went, and this is obedience. Philip's decision to go out of obedience to God should be seen through the healthy knowledge and understanding of the God he obeys. Our obedience to God would always be in deficit if our knowledge and understanding of God is lacking. Again, our obedience to God would always be in deficit if our knowledge and understanding of God is lacking. In other words, 
if we are not reading the scriptures, examining the scriptures, and we are getting to know God as we should, then our obedience would always fall short. To us who hear the word and do not endeavor to grow in the knowledge of Christ would always press up against these words. If you love me, keep my commandments. So we know to love Christ is to know him and to know him is to understand what it means to be obedient to Christ. Luke writes, placing Philip in the path of this man. Now, why do I say this man? This man, I say because Philip, Philip's knowledge of who he was he wasn't told about him. He didn't have a description of what he was going to do. There was no other instructions but going. And it wasn't relevant to him. All that mattered to Philip was obedience to God. Luke gives us the information as he tries to give an accurate account to his friend Theophilus. See these two letters, Luke, the book of Luke, and Acts, the book of Acts, was letters penned by Luke to his friend Theophilus. We have these accounts. So we know that the status, if you will, was not relevant to Philip at that time. Starting in Luke chapter 1 and, and, not in, and, and in the book of Acts, we can see the importance of this information of the man being first an Ethiopian, secondly a eunuch, thirdly the holder of one of the top positions in his country, and fourthly something that's often overlooked, a convert to Judaism. He was not a Christian. He was coming back from Jerusalem worshiping. God's grace of salvation is not about my status or your status. It is about our hearts. God's grace to the Gentiles is not how good or how bad you are but to the obedience of the heart. Look at the Assyrians. Anytime you get a chance, read the book of Jonah. And when you look at the Assyrians of themselves, the Assyrians of Nineveh, we heard stories and we know how bad the Assyrians were. We say they were wicked beyond wicked. But God sent Jonah with a message, a message of repentance or face destruction. And this is obedience from the heathen. 
and they listened and they obeyed. They repented. Why? Because of their knowledge of God. See, back then, they saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, where he was transformed into an animal. And the Syrians saw this, and they knew who God really was and the power of God. And they became disobedient in their wickedness. Philip, a Jew, would have had firsthand knowledge of this, what it means to be against a people. Because the Samarians and the Jews had a long-standing feud and would also would have also be considered like the Ethiopians, Gentiles. And Gentiles were a people not to be associated with. But yet, out of obedience to God, Philip went. So the status where he was from in the eyes of God did not matter. So in the eyes of Philip, it did not matter. And this is what obedience looks like. We can say where Philip's mind is, obedience. When we take ourselves out of the equation where our hate, biases, and prejudice resides, and we carry the mindset of Philip, only then will God use us for effective evangelism. It is impossible to evangelize and still hate. We cannot evangelize and still hate. It cannot work. Two don't go together. Look at Paul's attitude to the church at Corinth. They say Corinth was a vile city. It's not a city that was pretty. It was really, really bad. And yet still, those who were saved in Corinth, Paul saw them as saints. Why? Because his biases were not there. He didn't blanket them like we do. Those were saints. Philip's obedience, if understood through the lens of God, would help us to appreciate what it means when our obedience is tested against death. That's a subject that most people don't want to deal with. When obedience to God is tested against death. Look at it this way. Stephen's obedience cost him this life. Listen to me very carefully. Stephen's obedience cost him this life. But not his life. 
Think about it. Paul's obedience cost him beatings unto death. And Paul still wanted to go back into the city. I, I tell you, I'm a coward, so I wouldn't want to go back. I have a problem with beatings. Right? So I just put my hand up because I want you to know I'll be first. Don't ask me to take some torture for you because my wife will tell you straight off the bat, I'm going to sell you out. I'm going to sell everybody else out. Don't ask me. And I'm taking a torture. So, but Paul wanted to, Paul wanted to actually go back into the city. He had no fear. So, again, this is where obedience comes in. But eventually, it cost him this life. Remember, not his life. Why? I bring these two men up because of their faith to show us that even if our obedience causes us to lose this life in Christ, we will always have our lives. We, the readers of this narrative, should not see this story as one that ended with Philip. Again, we, the readers of this story, should not see this narrative as one that ended with Philip. Now, let's take your post two here. We should see this as a continuum of evangelism, a plan of the sovereign God. In Matthew, Matthew 3, verses 2. In Matthew 3, verses 2 speaks, or what it does, it brings John the Baptist to us. John is presented to us. And John is seen evangelizing. And the words of John is echoing out as he presents Christ. The kingdom of hand is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And this was his message. And we see John presenting Christ, petitioning his hearers to repent. Luke also records two accounts of early evangelism in Acts chapters 9, starting in verse 1, and in Acts chapters 10, starting in verse 1. The messages are still the same. The kingdom of God. Jesus, in his priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verses 20. He does something here because he's, pre he's praying at that moment for the present at that moment. But he turns to the future. Who sits in the future? We sit in the future. And he says, for after the future, he says, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me 
through their words. Jesus says, in a nutshell, I am praying for all those who come to me because of the words that the apostles or the disciples, all those who would be with him at that time, I'm praying for all of you because you know about me through him and you have come to obey me through him. And this is what Jesus is saying. So he already prayed for us that that word, when we hear it, he's praying for all the blessings that they have, we would also have as believers. And this is for every believer from now until the end. It is by their word, the presentation of Christ to the world, that we believe and are saved. But here's the kicker. Now, today, because they all died, is incumbent upon us, the present us, to present Christ to the world, the same Christ that we believed on and that we are saved. And we present them to this world in which we live, and that is important to evangelism. Here's a note. We all evangelize in one way or another. We evangelize political parties, political candidates. We promote social issues that we are passionate about. We even evangelize for some of our preachers. We invite people to hear them, persuade them to be like us. You know, um, went to buy a car and the guy says to me, well, this is a sky blue and you're paying for the color. And I asked, um, so the red one don't go to the same place? But the evangelism that's there, we all do it, even though we don't, might not realize we are doing it. But if for evangelism, or let's say if Christ is not superseding in our evangelism, then something is wrong with the picture. We need to re-examine our lives. If our evangelism of Christ peels in comparison to everything else, we need to do some serious introspection. Because the message of evangelism is Christ. We had an old adage about the Bible, and it was the King James. And it says, if it's good for my grandmother, and it's good for my mother, it's good for me. But I want to remove those words, and I want to do it this way. The evangelism of Christ, if it was good for Peter, and it was good for, all, for, for Paul, it should be good for us all. When you get a chance, read Jesus' priestly prayer. And you'll see that it is a privilege to be used by God. You know, because he has placed us in this world 
with all the protections and a script already written with what we should say. Oh, what a privilege. We don't have to go make it up. We don't have to make it a three-step program or a 12-step program. It is Christ. That's it. Christ and Christ alone. You see the disciples going out and they're preaching Christ. You see Paul, you see Philip, the evangelist, and they're preaching Christ. Let's look at Romans. Paul speaking to the Romans. He's, and this is Romans chapter 1. And I'm paraphrasing. Because I want to show you the continuum of the message. The message of Christ. Because evangelism, the message of Christ, is a continuum. In fact, it's the only message we need to evangelize. Paul tells us here first, he says, I'm a servant. Then he tells you who he's a servant of. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. Then he goes a little further to say that God set him apart. So now, if this is true, and you see that Paul is now endowed with the full weight behind him, around him, and he's actually has the full weight of the Godhead with him. See what a privilege? When we evangelize, we have the full weight of God with us. These, these are the privileges that we have when we evangelize. And this is what Paul is carrying. This is why obedience is so important to God. Because he uses us when we are obedient. And God gave him the mandate. What did he give him? A script. The gospel of God. This is my script. The gospel of God. And what is that gospel? The only thing that's there. Read it carefully. His son. That's it. The gospel of God is Christ Jesus. His son. It reads. Concerning his son. So God's message is about his son. And this is Paul speaking. But he does something interesting here to show us the continuum of the message of God regarding his son. And he says, but rather a message given to the prophets. This was a message that God had given to the prophets before his time. And we know that because we read these things coming through the scriptures. So if it's a continuum there, why is it stopping here? This is why we need to get back into the message of God. We need to be telling Christ to all. This is the message of God. The message of the prophets to the early church and now to us. It's now it's in our hands. 
we hold a script. We can all share stories of things we went to buy, the experience of it. We had so much a great time that we want to call someone and tell them. You know, I went here and it was so good, things were cheap and all kind of stuff, we would tell that. But this message is not that. Why? Because no two people will ever have the same experience. They're all different. So we can go to some place and one will have a great experience and the other will not. But with Christ, it's the same experience. This is the message of Christ. This message, the script that we hold, is a message of God and his plan for salvation through his son, Christ Jesus. That's the script we hold. The message of God and his plan for salvation through his son, Christ Jesus. It is this script we need to read and we need to tell. It might sound redundant, but this is it. We need to read it and we need to tell it. Why? Because when we read it, the unlikelihood that we will forget is there because we read it. The unlikelihood that we become complacent is there because we have read it. And when we tell it, we are becoming obedient to God. So our attitude should be reading it and telling it. Reading it and telling it. Reading it and telling it. What can we, what can we say that comes from belief? In, the, in, the, in Lord Jesus is joy. What we, what we can say that comes from the belief in the Lord Jesus is joy. We know that joy comes from him. Luke recorded Jesus saying in Luke chapters 15 verse 10. He says, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So no, so we know what happens above. There's joy in heaven. We know that the angels who stand before God rejoices when there is repentance by a sinner. When we tell the message of the Spirit of God, when we tell the message and the Spirit of God uses the message of God to quicken the heart, that's what happens. Joy is in heaven. Now let's come closer to home. Now plant your post, post three. Acts chapters 8, at the end of the verse, chapters 8, 39, 
something happens here. They came out of the water. And if you notice, coming out of the water, you see something happening. And it says, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. I pause there because the strange thing here is that you know, with us, someone joined themselves to you. Let's say someone joined, you were driving, saw someone at the stoplight, and you picked them up. Don't ask me why, but you picked them up. And you were driving, and you, they stopped to tell you about Christ, you got baptized. And after you got baptized, you look around, there's no more there. This is a strange reaction. Because physically you saw the person, which means that you're either crazy or there's a God. One or the other. Because the person was there, you know they baptized you, but then, poof! Something we really don't believe in. This is how our mind is programmed today. But you look at this, this is exactly what happened here. But it did not affect the eunuch in any way at all. Because it says it was no more. And what happened? The eunuch went away rejoicing. See what happens when God comes in? When you accept Christ? There's rejoicing in earth too. We rejoice. I'm sure most of us, when we had the pleasure of meeting Christ in our walk, there was rejoicing in our hearts. So we see how rejoicing within us down here, close to home, happens when we meet Christ. But this was one man, Luke wrote about this one man, the eunuch. But we can safely say that he was not alone. This would give new meaning to autonomous carriages, self-driven carriages, because we know with the status of this Ethiopian official, someone would have been driving that carriage. And he would have probably had a detail because of who he was when he traveled. So we know there were more rejoicing. We were told of his rejoicing after his encounter with the message of God and believing in the Son of God. Before Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip was seen preaching in Samaria, the city of Samaria. And we know there was much joy in that city because the Bible tells us this. The text tells us this. You have to go a little further up. Um, where it says uh, in chapters 13, verses 48. But you'll find that the city, there was much, much joy in the city. Philip proclaimed Christ. And that's what happened after he proclaimed Christ and they saw 
the good works, the city was full of joy. Gentiles, uh, Gentiles rejoicing. And Gentiles actually, um, the rejoicing with Philip would be in uh, chapters 8, verses 4, sorry. And the Gentiles rejoicing in chapters 13, verses 48. Acts chapters 13, verses 48, was because they heard the Lord preached. Christ was preached to them. They heard the word of the Lord. And the joy of Jesus was in them. So we find joy in his grace. This is where our joy comes from. We find joy in his mercy. We find joy in his protection. We find joy in his presence. We find joy when we are broken. We find joy when we are weary. We find joy when we are saddened. We find joy abundantly in our Lord. For in him there is salvation to eternal life. The joy of the believer is knowing that possessing a healthy knowledge and understanding of God brings us to a place where we see obedience to the message of God, the continuous joy in heaven and earth. Again, the believer's knowledge that possessing a healthy knowledge and understanding of God brings us to a place where we see obedience to the message of God, the continuous joy in heaven and earth. In a nutshell, when we present Christ, the heavens open up with joy and the earth open up with joy. Let us be mindful that it is us who hold the script. The script, the message of God concerning his son, the Lord Jesus. I thank you so much for listening. I pray that God would continue to bless us as we lift his son up, giving him his rightful place in our hearts. Amen.